Will you please pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we, we thank you for bringing us to this place this morning, for giving us the opportunity to worship together, to sing songs of praise, to be in community with one another. And now, Lord, to turn to your scripture. Lord, we ask that as we do so, you'd give us ears to hear what you have for us. And God, I ask that you take my words and use them for your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So last week we began a series that we're calling Season of Giving, where we're kind of uh, looking at what it means to establish deep roots in in, in in a wide reach, really by becoming good stewards of all that God has given us. And one of the things I I mentioned last week is that there's usually the, the groans when you hear the word stewardship. You say, oh, here we go, we're talking about money. But the reality is, is stewardship is about our entire lives. Stewardship is how we we use our time, our treasure, our talent, all that we have, all that God has given us for God's kingdom. Really, stewardship is connected to discipleship. It's about managing or taking care of all of those things that God has given us and how we use them with other people. At the core of honoring God with all that we have is understanding the truth that, that God gave us it all anyway. So we, we follow a giving God And because we follow a giving God, we give of ourselves because God gave it all to us anyway. It's all God's. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what it means to to create a generous legacy. Our our second reading is from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 7. And by the time Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, he had grown quite fond of the early Christian community there. It's one of the the early churches that he had built a, a strong relationship with. So 1 Corinthians kind of addresses a community who's just beginning their journey together, just kind of trying to map out here's what it looks like to be a a church together. Uh, They're fighting all kinds of different pressures from the society and culture around them. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, And Paul aims to kind of give them the guidelines, to give them the map of of how to live as as a church. And then in 2 Corinthians, it's it's kind of this more personal follow-up. Paul basically says, look... You, you, you know me by now. You, you, you know me. You know that I wouldn't lead you astray. You all need to follow through with what we talked about before. Starting in, in the first verse of chapter 8, we read this. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a, a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. In this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us, so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, In utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It wasn't really until I had children that I began thinking about uh, this idea of, of legacy, the idea of what, what my legacy had meant. I mean, I had thought about my grandparents' legacy. My, my grandmother turned 103 this last week. I, I had thought about her legacy. I had thought about uh, the legacy of kind of influential people in, in our society, but I hadn't really thought about my legacy 
until I had children. Five or six years ago, uh, one of my one of my wife's mentors, one of Haley's mentors, created a, a process for kind of crafting a, a family mission statement. And after uh, a friend of mine convinced me that, that it was worth doing, we went through it as a couple and as a family as well. I was reluctant at first because I knew it would be a lot of work. And it's, it's not all that different from what our, our Vision 2020 team has been trying to do for us here as a church, which we plan to share with you all next week. It forced Haley and me to ask some questions about our marriage, about our kids, how we wanted to raise them, about how we wanted to relate to the rest of the world. And, and, and for the long time, what we, what we came up with hung on our bathroom mirror. So every, every morning I'd, I'd wake up and I'd, I'd read it and I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to live into that. Ouch, that's, that's hard to do. Oh, and, and then once I figured out, oh, I can put it on my phone... It's on my, my lock screen. So every time I pull up my phone, I read, we will live intentionally. We will seek adventure, give generously, and love others with no agenda. As we, seek, as we seek to reflect Christ in our communities, our life together will be marked by gratitude and grace. It might sound a little silly, but, but periodically, Haley and I sit down and we pull it out and we say, okay, how are we doing? Are we actually living into this? When was the last time we went on an adventure together as a family? How are we giving generously to, to our neighborhood? Where have we loved each other and our neighbors with no agenda? How are we doing? Really, it's forced us to think about the sort of legacy we are creating for our children, for our family, and, and also for everyone who knows us. Now, if we want to be good stewards of all that God has given to us, our time, our talent, and our treasure, we need to think about that word legacy. And creating a generous legacy, it takes consistency, kind of a, a continual marching forward. It takes a, a desire to grow. You can't ever think you've arrived. And it takes an unwavering commitment to what God is doing in the world. I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that Scripture, if you read the story of Scripture, it is one big story of legacy. In the Reformed tradition that we belong to, that we're remembering and celebrating today, it's a part of what we often refer to as covenant theology, where God's covenant is passed down from Abraham to his descendants to the nations and eventually through Jesus to us. The two passages we read this morning give us a a snapshot of that legacy And remind us that we ourselves are charged with passing it on. The first passage we looked at is often referred to as the great commandment or in the the Hebrew tradition, the Shema. It's the basic confession of the Jewish faith. And it states that Yahweh is, is completely unique and the one and only true God. It's the belief that set the faith of the Israelites apart from their Near Eastern neighbors who believed that there were were multiple gods and they would spend most of their life kind of trying to appease one God to keep the wrath of the other God away from them. And Moses says, whoa, no, that's not what Yahweh's about. We need to remind ourselves and we need to remind our children and our children's children that Yahweh alone is God. So he tells the Israelites to keep these words in their hearts, to recite them, to talk about them all the time, everywhere they go, to bind them on their bodies and to write them 
on their doorposts and gates. Keep, recite, talk about, bind, write them. Now that might look a little different for us today, but my question for us all is how are we doing that? How are we reminding ourselves of who God is? How are we we keeping the principles of placing what we believe about God in front of us everywhere we go? The consistency piece. Legacies are created as other people, our friends, our neighbors, watch us talk the talk and walk the walk. Are we keeping it in front of us? The passage from 2 Corinthians mentions the sort of reputation or legacy of, that the church can have. It's a community that's known for a few things, for excelling in faith and speech and eagerness. But Paul mentions that there's something lacking, something that he and the other apostles long for them to experience, to be a part of. Now, historically, Corinth is a fascinating city. In some ways, it's, it's kind of like Los Angeles. It was a place where there were multiple ports, so people were always coming and going, always passing through. Two of the most influential temples for, for Greek philosophers were in Corinth, so, so the academic people of the day often visited to debate and to have different conversations. So there's all kinds of competing values and philosophies, almost like there was for Moses and the Israelites when he gave the Great Commandment. And somehow, in the middle of it all, the church in Corinth was thriving, But something was missing. Paul wants them to share in the ministry of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who had fallen on hard times. In some ways, this is Paul's stewardship sermon. But it's not just because the Jerusalem church needed money. It's to show the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that the Gentile Christians were on board with them. That they were all on the same team. He's concerned about the unity of the church, so he talks about the legacy of the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, who were incredibly generous, giving way beyond their means. Last week I mentioned that more than anything, stewardship is about discipleship. It's about following Jesus on a journey of faith and service. Everything that was given was done so out of the commitment to what God was doing through the church. But the Christians in Corinth were missing out on what happens when we're good stewards with what God has given. His words in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 remind them and us that being generous is an important part of spiritual growth and maturity. Moses encouraged the Israelites to think about their legacy and Paul encouraged the church to think about their legacy. So my charge for us this morning is pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Spend some time thinking through your own legacy. What's so important to you that you keep it consistently in front of you, reciting it, talking about it, so everyone can see it? And where does generosity fit into that picture? How are you tangibly committed to what God is doing in this world? This morning, we're we're celebrating someone who is leaving quite a legacy here at WPC. Julie's given a lot to this community over the last two, more than two decades. And I first experienced that generosity um, after being here for less than a month. Uh, My daughter Ella got sick on Christmas Eve, right here. Um, And 
uh, we hadn't moved yet, so we were staying in a hotel, and it was Christmas Eve between services, and Julie shows up at the hotel with saltines and Sprite for my sick daughter on Christmas Eve. We're going to have an opportunity later to chat and share some more stories over lunch, but we want to take a few moments during our, our worship service to celebrate you, um, to talk a little bit about your legacy, and so, so Ed's going Ed's to start. Well, when I think about Julie's legacy, for our family, it's both obvious and very personal. And basically, if it weren't for Julie and her ministry, we wouldn't be here at WPC. Uh, when we moved to the Conejo Valley as a, a family with two young daughters about oh, just over 10 years ago, we visited many churches and many churches several times. And ultimately, we kept finding ourselves drawn to this church because primarily because of the care, creativity, and sweetness that Julie had created in the children's program here. Not only on Sundays, but also um, during the week at, at Kids Fellowship Club. Throughout the years, Julie's ministry has not just been in, in the walls of the church, but, but much beyond the children's ministry, because she's, she's taken the time to attend performances by our girls and, um, and involve our daughters in, in the ministry themselves. And she's also extended this sweetness to both the choir and to the praise team through her, her gifts of hospitality. And I believe that as, as Christians... We as Christians, we allow, our, when we, let, we allow our gifts to be used by God. Our world experiences a sweetness that can only come from him. And in the same book, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which is a few chapters earlier than what Dave just read, Paul writes that God uses us to spread in every place the fragrance that comes from knowing him. And so it seemed fitting I, earlier this week I, I asked Julie what some of her favorite songs and, and hymns might be to, to incorporate them into the services. And um, the song Sweet, Sweet Spirit was at the top of her list. And so I just want to say thank you, Julie, for bringing a sweet fragrance to WPC and to our family and for so many years. And it's a sweetness that only comes from knowing Christ and the work of his spirit. So in doing so, we're going to sing the song Sweet, Sweet Spirit. And we're going to have the lyrics up on the screen. And I'd love for you to join, join in. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, and I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face, and I know they feel the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit, sweet heavenly us with your love and for these blessings we lift our hearts in praise without a doubt we'll know that we have been 
and revived when we shall leave this place. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Well, Catherine and I are going to speak. You nervous? We've known you a long time. If you're not, you ought to be. Um, just a couple of prefacings. They told me I had three minutes. No way. You all know me. They all laugh. They know me. <laughs> just a comment, Julie, because today is a day also of grief, and it hurts. And that's a good thing, because all relations come to an end someday, some way. And the pain and the grief is a direct response to the joy and the meaning that has been. So excuse us if we have a little grief, but I promise not to make this a funeral. Because there's a lot of joy, too. So I'm going to take you back, I don't know, how long have you been in this job? 20 years? 25? 25. On the courtyard on the southeast quadrant, 25 years ago, you approached me and said, John, I need your help. Do you remember that? You don't remember that. <laughs> and I said, what do you need, Julie? And she said, I would like to apply for the job of director of children's ministry. I think we called it back then. And I need your help in interviewing. I'd like to know what the concerns are of the people who would be interviewing. Now, I'm an old HR guy. And let me tell you something, that any time you have someone tell you they've prepared for an interview, hire them. You don't want somebody who just shows up and wings it. And so we talked. And I don't remember what I told you, and I don't remember if you paid any attention but the next thing I read was that you're being announced as the director of children's ministries. Now, churches are known for making decisions. Some are good decisions. Some are so-so, and some are just flat-out wrong and bad. But when we hired you, Julie, that was not just a good decision. That was a great decision. So I want to talk a little bit about from my ordination, because I'm kind of being nostalgic. And the man who preached my ordination talked about a character by the name of John Chapman. John Chapman was better known as Johnny Appleseed. And he wandered through, as a missionary type, he wandered through the states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, maybe Kentucky, and some other places, planting apple trees. Now, there were some economic reasons for that, and we'll get into that, but he was well known for his supplying apple cider. Okay, they made a little booze out of it, too. And he would plant and plant and plant. In that ordination that I was subject of, 
minister got up and he took an apple and he said, so how many seeds are in this apple? Any fool can count them. Open it up. Three, four, who knows? But then he said, if you plant those seeds, how many apples are there in the seeds? And the bottom line is, if you follow the logic of that, is only God knows. And so I've remembered that all these years, that we can count the seeds, any fool can do that, but only God can count the apples in the ministry and in the work. The hard thing is we never see the fullness of the fruits we are about. You're just beginning to catch some glimpses of that, aren't you? With kids who come up and say, Ms. Julie, I remember, and you hear the story and how important you are to them, and you look back and say, I don't even remember that. And so you have a legacy. John Chapman had a legacy of planting the seeds, so have you. So I want to suggest the first legacy is the seeds in leadership. You have helped children, older children, help younger children. And that's been very intentional. And it's taken a lot of work. It's the stair-step system. You have interns, and by the way, for those who don't know, they're required to have CPR. You'll be around here, you're going to be helpful. They've been learning leadership as well as responsibility in the context of faith. That is a legacy. You don't understand it until you can teach it. That's been your message to Sunday school teachers and with the kids. And the ministry of children has been more than kids just having fun. You've also taught them many life skills as well. So number two, things that John Chapman was not so well known for are talked about. John Chapman was an environmentalist. He cared deeply about the world and how it was treated and the land. He was a vegetarian, a strict vegetarian. He did not want animals killed. Does this beginning sound familiar? <laughs> you have likewise had an urgency of care for this planet. You have even taken us out and cleaned our beaches on Earth Day. You have reminded us of the consequences of global warming and the carbon emissions problem. There's a third piece that John Chapman was known for, and he was a peacemaker. He had relationships with the Native Americans in his planting and in his church work. See, the settlers thought that the Native Americans were savages without a soul. And the Native Americans thought the settlers were thieves stealing their land, which was true. But he learned the language, he learned how to listen, he learned how to talk to them. He even planted plants for their medicinal needs. There were four plants that were used for medicine. He planted those along with the apple seeds. He was known as a man with a great spirit. Even the hostile tribes left him alone and respected him. You've reminded us to reach out to those who are marginalized in our society, the homeless, 
special needs kids, foster children, those with a different sexual orientation that is common, to the immigrants, to the religious community, especially reminded us that Muslims aren't all terrorists. You remind us of our calling to be advocates of social justice. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that sometimes we forget that he was preaching to the marginalized. Those who are on the outside and need to be included, and you have done that as well. I think it's because in our community, wealth is an isolator. It isolates us from poverty, people who are different from us. Our churches can even isolate as well, and you've reminded us to stay open. All this, Julie, comes from a big heart. It's not always appreciated by all when we get into social justice, but you've kept your faith, you've kept your energy, your imagination, your love, and you've directed it in this job. And it was well done. I was thinking about a blessing for you. I like to go to the Irish for that. They seem to do good blessings. And I saw this one, and it says, May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face. The rains fall soft upon your fields until we meet again. How's that going to happen with you? The reason it's not going to happen is because you're strong with social justice. And when you are, the road doesn't always come to meet you. Sometimes there's no road at all. And the wind isn't at your back, it's usually in your face. And the sun doesn't shine on you, it beats on you. And the rains don't fall, it floods. Okay, so that's what it is to be someone who cares about social justice. All right, I skipped that one. Now there's another one. You've heard this one. May your soul be in heaven a half hour before the devil knows you're dead. (laughs) Now with Julie's speed, you know, I kind of fit. And uh, I thought about that. You know, I remember you coming through the office looking for your keys and a lot of things when Valerie couldn't find them for you in your office. And you did it with a lot of speed, but, you know, I found out when I looked at that deeper, it's a drinking song. And it's, and, it's, and it's what they used to say to people who were three sheets of the wind after a few too many Guinnesses and walking home. Well, Julie doesn't drink, she doesn't go to bars, so I didn't fit either. But I did find one. And I want you to listen very carefully. May you always have work for your hands to do. May your pockets hold always a coin or two. May the sun shine bright on your window pane. May the rainbow be certain to follow each rain. May the hand of a friend always be near you. And may God fill your heart with gladness to cheer you. Julie, we love you. We will miss you. And thank you for 25 years. Catherine? It's really hard not to feel like my nervous three-year-old self when I come up onto these stairs. Um, For those of you that don't know me, I'm Catherine. I'm Julie's daughter. Um, And we've been at this church since I was, I think, two years old in Miss Judy's um, Mommy and Me class. Um, So I just wanted to share a little bit about what it was like growing up here and watching my mom lead here for 25 years. what kids can say that coming to work with their parent was the best part of their childhood. The three of us, um, my sister and my brother and I, really can. Um, 
95% of the things that I even remember from my childhood happened in these walls. And I think the other 5% happened at family camp. <laughs> so, you know, everything, our whole life was this church. Um, there's not an inch of this place that doesn't hold extreme significance for me and my family. Um, it's just something that if you didn't grow up with my family here, you could never understand. But I know a lot of you did, and I wish that for all of you, if you're raising children in a church or in a place like this, that you can have that community and that experience um, that my mom was able to provide for us here. Um, alongside raising us here, um, she raised multiple generations of strong children here who have gone on to be strong adults, um, some of whom are my very best friends still. Um, she taught us and she taught them to live out their faith um, in kindness and in service and to work towards social justice, as um, Pastor Burnett mentioned also. Um, she built communities in this church. Um, she had her hand in everything here, as many of you know, and some of you were probably annoyed about from time to time. But, I mean, she gave people from the smallest of small to the older people in our community purpose. Um, inside her programs, um, obviously the things she ran like VBS and KFC, um, Sunday school, but also just finding ways for anyone and everyone to get involved here. Um, I'm training the amazing youth leaders. Um, I was the beginning of that. And, you know, I was able to have a relationship with my mom that was outside the mother daughter, um, but learning and working with her. Um, and she trained so many other youth leaders, many of them, including myself, have gone on to become educators um, or to serve in youth ministry. Um, and like I said, she bridged the gap between the young and old, providing opportunities like the Fix-It crew, you know, an old, um, uh, not old, sorry, <laughs> an older group of gentlemen that would come to VBS and, um, you know, just creating opportunities for everyone to connect, um, went way outside of her realm of children's and family ministry. Um, we often joked with her like, okay, yeah, you know, everyone has a family, so you could tie really anything into your job, you know, but I mean, because she did, she selflessly dedicated herself to her programs. And um, we all know if you've been here for a minute, she throws a great party and she'll find any excuse to celebrate. Um, and it's really been Watching my mom, I've known it's been more about these elaborate parties and decorations, but it's about her want to celebrate anyone and everyone that's here and make people feel invited and welcome and accepted, um, and always an excuse to plan a themed outfit <laughs> as well. Um, but my mom leaves a lasting legacy on my life and um, the lives of my siblings in this place. Um, but we also leave with a lifetime of memories, the best of friends, a million moms, um, and values she's instilled in us that will stay with us wherever we go. So thank you, Mom.